the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I feel like we could just praise the day away. That's good. I want to be in a house where the presence of the Lord is. That's what we prayed about this morning in our pre-service prayer. Just We want to be where you are, God. We want to feel your presence because in his presence is everything that you could possibly desire, every need met, every want. He supplies all your riches according to his, all your needs according to his riches and glory like Cedric said. God is so good. How many believes that God could use them? Do you believe he can use you? He's using a 14-year-old girl to lead praise and worship this morning, wasn't he? He takes care of us. Cedric, you glad God takes care of you? He's good to you, isn't he? Cedric lives in the blessing every day. I hear a story about how somebody blessed Cedric, took care of Cedric. God's send ravens to take care of, who was it? Uh, Elijah do you believe God can meet your every need how great is our God how great is he how good is he as Miss Susan once said he's mm mm good (laughs) what was that one time I said I mean we get cited up on here when we're praising the Lord sometimes we just say something out of our head sometimes I said he he tastes better than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> but he is. God is good. I'm pastor guy. I'm the crazy one up here. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm the pastor, but if, if you're new here, uh, you're stuck with me for today. <laughs> um, is there anybody, first-time visitors here? You don't have to raise your hand if there, if there are. We're glad you came. If there's not, what are we doing here? Okay, let's pray. Lord, everybody here can be anointed. Everybody here can be filled with your presence. Everybody here can be a light. Everybody here can do the works of, that Jesus did. They'll commit themselves to love, commit themselves to your plan, to your ways, to your truth, to be filled by your spirit, to be used, to answer the call. Everybody here's life can be radically different with just a change of their perspective of what they're here for. Man, we make it about everything that this world offers. Sometimes we get lost. We lose our way. We think it's about the, the money. We think it's about the prestige, the fame, the respect. What do we think it's about? Because what are we taking with us when we go, Lord? The souls. Help us to get a perspective today. Help us to put this love that you've shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit into action. Lord, show us. Open our eyes. Change. Give us a paradigm shift today. Something dramatic, Lord. 
Is there anybody here today that would be open to looking at life in a new way? If that's you, just lift both hands to the Lord and say, I surrender to what you would teach me today, Lord, to what you would have me know. I surrender. I'm not, I'm not here to see if you're who you say you are, to test you. I already have tested you and seen that you're good. I've already tasted. I'm already swimming in that pool. Can't nobody tell me there's not water in it. Lord, we want, we want our understanding unlocked. We want to have ears to hear. We want to understand the parables. We want to understand the meaning behind our existence. We want to change. And so we give it all to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in about the fifth grade, I lived in some apartments in Whitehaven, which is a suburb of Memphis, as you know. I don't know where I heard it, but some of my friends or somebody at school had said something about that they had heard that somebody had strung a rope across the street and it would cause cars to hit it and they would break their antennas and they would get a good laugh, you know. How stupid is that? Well, I went and looked through my mama's drawers till I found a roll of rope, <laughs> a coil of rope. And I was by myself. I didn't even have nobody else to blame. It was just me. I was, I don't know, I just was bored one day and I got that coil of rope and I went out there and I found two signs across the street from one another leading into the apartment entrance and I tied that rope across there and I went and hid behind apartments and I was waiting to see what was going to happen. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Not much has changed. But it, okay, so I'm waiting and can we be honest in church? Am I? Is it okay to be honest? I started having some rumblings, some lower stomach pains. <laughs> Don't act like you never had them. Okay, so I, I got to go. <laughs> and so I ran to my apartment real quick, if you know what I mean. And so I was in there, as you can imagine. Don't imagine that. Okay, I was in there trying to relieve my stomach pain. And the thought hit me. I don't know where it came from. I think it must have been God. You know, God will speak to you when you're on your throne. <laughs> no, but <clears throat> I need to stop because that wasn't in the script. <laughs> okay, but somebody spoke to me and said, what if a motorcycle comes through and hits that rope? and knocks him off and kills him. My eyes got about this big, and I thought, I could be tried for murder. You know what I did? We'll get to that later. But today, starting right now, we're starting a new series. We're not talking about marriage anymore, so all you husbands and wives can go, whoo, did anybody get anything from that last series on marriage? <laughs> I'm glad you did. Um, usually when we, we preach on marriage or something, the devil attacks your marriage. So if you're under attack right now, weather the storm, be not ignorant of his devices, come on, fight against that and press on through and don't forget the things that you learned that were worth fighting for in the first place. So keep fighting 
for your marriage. But today we're going to start a new series, and I've entitled it God's Great Plans for You. God's Great Plans for You. Do you know what they are? The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. God's two great plans for humanity, right? The Great Commission is, you know, is to go into all the world and make disciples. And the Great Commandment, does anybody know what that is? We need to start back from ground zero if you don't know what the Great Commandment is. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and I love you. I love you. We're supposed to love our neighbor, right? The great commandment and the great commission, God's great plans for you. And today's individual message, if you're following along on your sheet, is entitled, In the Ballpark. In the Ballpark. Can you hit that uh, first slide for me? I want to use the analogy of a ballpark to describe our lives. Okay? Is you following, you're tracking with me. What's in your ballparks, so to speak? Have we been able to pull that slide up? Can we slide it on up? Can we pull it down from somewhere? All right. All right, what I want you to imagine <laughs> is a ballpark. I'm going to give them just a second. There we go. Thank you. Give them a big round of applause. Most of the time, it's the equipment's fault. It's not their fault, okay? Does anybody recognize that ballpark? Where is it at? How do you know? The arch. And what's the name of that ballpark? Bush Stadium, right? And look at the, all the people, happy people. alive and vibrant. Everybody is excited to be in that ballpark that day, aren't they? You don't see a lot of people, oh, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was at work today. They're excited to be in that ballpark. Are people excited to be in your ballpark? When I say your ballpark, I mean your sphere of life. The people that you touch daily or, you know, that you know. Maybe your Facebook friends or something. Maybe I don't, Everybody that you come in contact with is your ballpark. Now, we want our ballpark to look like this, right? Most of us do, but some people's ballpark looks like... <laughs> sad little ballpark, isn't it? How do people's ballpark begin to look like that? They don't take care of their ballpark. They get hurt. Their feelings, they begin to protect themselves. They won't let anybody in. They're not trying to, they're not promoting their ballpark anymore. They're not going out and telling people about their ballpark. They're staying to themselves and they become lonely and weeds grow up on their playing field. Am I getting my point across? Now, God's ballpark is open to the entire world. We know that from John 3.16. For God so loved the whole world right? Do we have different standards for our ballpark? 
Is everybody welcome into our ballpark? Of course, we know it's easy to love those who love us, right? We all love our family, us four, you know. Some people say no more, <laughs> us four and no more. That's not good. It's good that you love your family, but don't say that's it. John 15, no, John eleven five says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus, we know he loved his family. Now it says he loved his friends. Almost all of us can say that our ballpark has our friends and family. Then John 13, 34 says, Jesus says, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Say each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He's saying, and who's he talking to? The disciples. So he's saying that we as fellow church folks should at least give each other a season pass into our ballpark, right? Until they mess it up, then they're out of here. No, at least somewhere in the nosebleeds, give the people in your church a little love. The disciples. So you got your friends, your family. If you got your fellow disciples, the fellow church members, you're doing pretty good. Your ballpark is starting to look alive and vibrant. It's certainly not going to look like that second slide. But then, what happened? Jesus met a man he didn't know. And you probably... Meet people every day you don't know. There was this rich young ruler fella that came to Jesus. Let's turn to Mark 10 and see what happened. Mark chapter 10. Jesus is strolling along, and this rich young ruler comes up in Mark chapter 10 and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 21, Jesus It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. What? He don't know this man. This is a stranger to him. Just looking at him, he felt genuine love. When you look at people at Walmart, do you feel genuine love? Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. So Jesus goes on and explains, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Ooh, burn. That must have hurt Jesus' feelings. Jesus is offering to let him be a disciple, and he, he chose his stuff over walking with the Messiah. Oh, you diss me, man. I imagine Jesus... Called down fire from heaven on him, didn't he? You think Jesus still loved him? Do you think Jesus loves sinners? People that reject him? Do you think he loved you back before you knew how wonderful he was? What does Romans 5, 8 say? Now God commended his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Died for us? Now, that's a whole different kind of love right there, isn't it? Greater love is no man than this than he laid down his life. That's a big love for a sinner. Someone who doesn't know him, and he probably doesn't know. Mm. 
So can we love people outside the gates of our ballpark? You know, you got these gates, and that's where you let people in. Are you giving out free tickets? Are you making it hard to come in the gates of your ballpark? Do we love anybody that's not in our ballpark presently? That maybe don't even want to come in our ballpark. Do we love them? I hope so. Because if not, we're going to live in that second little slide. With a sad, puny little ballpark. Like Jerry Seinfeld. Anybody ever used to watch Seinfeld? <laughs> Seinfeld always had these ridiculous excuses to break up with his girlfriends. You remember that? He, he, he would get this girl and she would be beautiful. Everything would be perfect, but he would always be looking for some reason that he, he's got to break up with her. One time it was because the woman had man hands. You remember that? One time it was because she was a low talker. She wouldn't talk loud. One time it was because she would finish his sentences. One time it was because his parents liked her and he knew something must be wrong with her. <laughs> One time it was because she kissed him in front of the soup Nazi and embarrassed him. He would find ridiculous reasons. You know, we can always find a reason not to love. Let's be honest. Okay, I heard y'all are not getting along. What's going on? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I'm not going to help them because of this or that. Or we, ha we can make up an excuse. It only had to be an excuse. We could find legitimate reasons not to love anybody. But, of course, God could have found legitimate reasons not to love us. <laughs> Amen? The world says, this is what the world says. Not the church. This is what the world says. If they are different, say different. If they're different, we shouldn't love them. Think about that. If they are different, we shouldn't love them. Let's turn to Luke 9. If they're different, we shouldn't love them. You know, you were probably taught as a kid about some differences in other folk. We don't hang out with them because they're different. We don't do this because they're different. They might live on this side of the tracks, and we live on this side of the tracks. There's all kind of differences. We're going to talk about differences today. Luke 9, 49. The disciple John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out devils. And we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Say, he isn't in our group. So therefore, we're not allowing them to do what we do. They're not going to have any part with us because they're not in our group. They were being what? Clickish. Clannish. Tribal. Whatever you want to call it where it's just you and no more. But verse 50, Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. But read on. It says, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Why does it matter where he was going? Because see, the Samaritans hate Jews. When they found Jesus was coming through there to go to the capital city of the Jews, Jerusalem, no, he's not coming through our gates. Not coming through our gates. Not coming in our ballpark. Isn't that what they're saying? But see, the feeling was likewise. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans too. It goes all the way back to olden times. I mean, they've been hating each other for years. I remember one of my friends' moms and daddies. I remember, I'll never forget this. The woman was nagging and nagging and nagging and the, the man, he was just eating his cereal. He, just, he could tell he could barely take it anymore. <laughs> and uh, she was just nagging and nagging. Finally, he looked up with milk dripping off his lip. He said, I hate you. I was there when he said it. And I thought he got her good. But then she turned around and says, that ain't nothing. I've been hating you for years. <laughs> I mean, these people hated. These Jews and Samaritans hated one another. The Jews called the Samaritans half-breeds because they had intermarried with non-Jews back when, when it, they had gotten started and the kingdoms of Judah and Israel had split and so forth. They called them the scum of the world. And now they're telling Jesus he can't come through Samaria. Well, in verse 54, when James and John saw this, <laughs> they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? But what did Jesus say? He turned and rebuked them. Fellas, fellas, you're missing the whole point. It's not about kicking people out of the ballpark. It's about bringing them in. The Bible says the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Who is it in your life that you're having no dealings with, Mr. Seinfeld? Who are you finding reasons not to let in your ballpark? And are you just taking somebody's word from it from when you was a kid? Or have you really thought this out? Have you got to know those people? Or you just hate them from afar because they're different? The world offers us plenty of different, believe me. Different groups to choose from. Different ideologies. People that don't think like we do. Different skin colors. Different this is a big one in today's society. Different political beliefs. How many people have you erased from your Facebook account because they don't believe like you believe? They have different, there's people with different financial statuses. One hates the other, another hates the other. Age differences, generations, differences, nationalities. Probably the biggest of all times is different faiths. Should we hate somebody from a different faith? People argue over anything. Argue over whether you should have an iPhone or an Android. <laughs> They'll argue which tastes better, Pepsi or Coke. Christians argue should you read out of the King James or the New Living. And I mean get heated about it. 
People will brawl over college football teams. I mean, they will throw down, come to blows. <laughs> and Ford and Chevy owners. <laughs> What's with the stickers on your truck peeing on each other? <laughs> I mean, come on. How old are you? <laughs> if you're in here with a sticker like that, I would like to apologize in advance. I understand where you're coming from, but just had to make a joke. Okay. At least some of them are done lightheartedly, but some of them are not, right? Which groups have you decided to exclude from your ballpark? Think about it. Maybe you've done it sub subconsciously. Maybe you've never thought about it, and you just now realize there are some people that I don't let in my life. That's what we're, God's trying to reveal to us today. You know, I saw an article as I was researching for this message. It said, it was named 50 groups slash individuals Jesus says you can hate. And I said, wow, I'll, I'm interested in seeing this because I don't remember any in the Bible. And so I read the article and had a little teaser at the front, and then it started numbers, 1 through 50. And the first one said, blank. The second one was blank. And the third, it was about four pages of numbers with blank to make their point that there are no people that Jesus says that you can hate or exclude. No groups, no individuals. It's the devil's plan to, to divide and conquer. This division you see in our nation today, that's not God. We should have no part in that. How are we going to reach them if we have divided against them and set them as our enemy over political beliefs predominantly today. But other, I mean, just about anything, this nation has become divided. And I'm here today to tell you that that's not God's way. I, you don't have to agree with everybody, but you don't have to hate them. They have a right to be wrong. I mean, I'm right about everything. But you don't see me hating on everybody that don't <laughs> There should have been more laughter to that, <laughs> if you know me. All right, let's turn to Matthew 5. Is anybody getting anything so far, or is this, oh, I already know all that? You know, sometimes I think, am I really going to preach that? I know everybody already knows that, but God wouldn't be giving it to me if we didn't need to hear it again. Just because you know some things don't mean you're working them out in your life. Don't mean you're doing them. And, and if, if you did them once, you could stop doing them and need to hear it again. You know, God doesn't rewrite the Bible every couple of months to give us something new. It's the same Bible. Think about that. Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says... Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Ouch. Pray for those who persecute you. Really? Because in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight both to the evil and to the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, 
What, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different? Say different. How are you different from anyone else? It says even pagans. One translation calls it sinners. Even sinners do that. Even sinners, tax collectors, pagans, people that don't know God, don't claim to know God, can love those who love them. What is supposed to set us apart? We're supposed to be known what? For our love for one another and for mankind. For being like Jesus. Christians means little Christ. If we're hating, dividing, separating, then how are we different than the world we're trying to save? Listen to this. If you want to make different an issue, be different than the world and don't let different divide you. If you want to be different, if you want to make it an issue, be different from the world and don't let people's differences divide you. That'll make you different. That'll set you out as a city on a hill, a light, a candle that's not hidden under a bushel, no. It'll set you as an example. Your love. And, and which one of you really feels good about that hate that you're harboring? Which one of you feels good about separating people and, and animosity? Which one? Does that make you feel good? Does it draw you closer to God? You're probably taking four medications to help get you through that. Boy, I'm preaching real good. So how should we handle different? How should we handle different? Let's go back to Samaria. Let's go back to the Samaritans and the Jews. You know the parable that I'm about to talk about. The parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus says this fellow was walking down the road and he fell in among thieves and they beat him and robbed him and left him half dead in the ditch, took his clothes and everything he had and the guy's barely hanging on to life and then a priest walks by. He walks on the other side of the road. I'm sure he's wanting to stay clean, you know. He, he don't want to become ceremonially unclean. He's worried about his religion. He don't want to be seen with that. He don't want to touch the unclean. You see, that's not God. And then the next guy comes by. I think he's a temple assistant or something. He at least goes over and looks at the dude. Oh, man, that's bad, dude. All right, well, good luck with that, you know. Be warm, be fed. He may have prayed for the guy. I don't know, but he walks off too. But it says, a despised Samaritan mortal enemy come riding up on the donkey he sees the dude in the ditch he doesn't say well is that a Jew he gets off his donkey he bandages the guy's wounds he pours oil in it he helps him lets this guy sit on his donkey and ride to the next town while he walks then he gets him in there 
And he, he doctors his wounds some more and gets the innkeeper. To, he stays with him a day and then tells the innkeeper to let him stay there. Here's some money to take care of him. And if it takes more, when I get back, I'll give it to you. He did everything he could to help this man. And what did Jesus say? Because the guy had asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, which one of these three that walked by the man do you think was a neighbor to him? And the guy said, well, the, the Samaritan. He said, right. But that's not answering the guy's question. It's answering it in a roundabout way. See, Jesus doesn't say which one was the neighbor. He says, you are the neighbor. You are always the neighbor. If you're the neighbor, then that means anybody around you is your neighbor. Don't be looking for somebody else to be the neighbor. You are the neighbor. And everybody else in the world is your neighbor. See yourself as the neighbor, Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter how different anybody else is when you view yourself as the neighbor. doesn't matter how they act. You're their neighbor. I don't know if that makes any sense. But don't walk by. We can't just walk by whether they're different or not. We need to have the heart of a neighbor. We can't just merely say, be warm and be fed. And I'm praying for you, brother. I don't like that. I, I really don't like it when somebody asks me to pray for them and I, and I say, I will, and then I forget. How many of us just say, I'll be praying for you. We type it on the our post or whatever, I see somebody that's sick, I'll be praying for you, but we don't pray. We just say we'll be praying for you. Be a man or a woman of your word. Really take time and stop and pray. And if not, even go further and help. I want to say just off the subject a little bit, but about our men's and women's groups. You know, we've broken them down into groups of 10, and we have team leaders over every 10 women and over every 10 men or so, you know, give or take 10. It's in an effort to try to make us stay a small church, even if we grew to 10,000 and we still had team leaders over 10s, we would be in small groups, right? And people learn to know their people, and there's so many advantages to that. There's so many ways to use it, and one of the ways I was thinking about how we can use that is, you know, sometimes as pastor, I hear things, you know, so-and-so's sick, so-and-so's down, so-and-so broken ankle, this or that. And so typically I'll go try to visit them at the hospital or I'll call and, and talk with you. Many of you have received such calls or whatever. Sometimes I don't get to everything and, because it's just one of me. But I got to thinking, now that we have this team leader structure, let's say if somebody in this, a, a woman in this one group breaks her ankle, for example, I can call the women's team leader and then she can text everybody in her group and then maybe you get that text and maybe you could pray for the person in your group. Or maybe you could fix them a meal while they're down. Or maybe you could visit them in the hospital. Or maybe whatever you feel, not every time, because there's 10 of you, but what if, what if you were to lead that charge? And you were to begin to make your group personal and build 
camaraderie in your group by doing that. Because, see, I, with the best that's within me, I don't want us to be a church that just walks by. And I apologize if there's been times that I can't get to, I can only, sometimes I can only text you and say, I'm praying. I, I know you're in the hospital, but you're in Germantown, and I've got a sermon right in the middle of a sermon or this or that, or I've got other things going on, and I just can't be everywhere. If I were, you wouldn't want me up here preaching because I, would ha- I wouldn't have time to think of what to say. So, does it sound reasonable that our men's and women's groups would become, begin to do more of that for each other? Wouldn't you like to be a part of something that your ten actually care for one another? Is there people in here that don't even know they're in a group and don't know who's in their group? Come to our men's and women's fellowships. You're in a group if you're in here, I believe. And if not, we'll cert- certainly get you in one. But when we, we care about one another, we just want to care about one another. Think about your hurt, the things you've experienced in your life, how you've suffered, all the times that you've cried, and if you've, maybe you felt lonely for periods of, in your life. Maybe you've felt overwhelmed. All the different ranges of emotions we, we often go through, even maybe in one day. (laughs) See, we all feel that. The things that you feel are not unusual. The person sitting next to you right now feels those things too. It's all part of a condition we call humanity. It's all part of a plight that was thrust upon us by the sin of Adam in this sin-filled world that we live. It's hard. We're born into it. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here handles their situation right. We're all given a different hand of cards to play out, you know, different challenges or whatever. Some people turn ugly over their situations. Some people don't handle it right. And I'm not making excuses for anybody, but in the end, I'm saying we're all in this together. And my question is, are we bringing light into anybody else's world, or are we just perpetuating the darkness are we just negative about our situation are we just so imploded with our own plight that we can't see past our own eyebrows or eyelids or what is eyelashes see life begins to really come together when you let people in your ballpark your life comes alive and vibrant. And you can, you can be the mascot running across the field and dancing crazy and making everybody laugh and cheering folks up. Because what we all need is love. That's what we all need. We all need Jesus. And we all need each other. I got another question. Is, is your ballpark admittance, admittance policy based on your social media feed more than it is on the Bible? Ephesians 3.17 says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. How do you get rooted and established in love? The Word of God. 
I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have power. How do you get power? Together with the Lord's holy people. So you got the, the word and you, and you mentioned the power of the Holy Spirit and you got togetherness with God's holy people. We call that church. Right? That you may have power together with God's holy people to grasp. To take a hold of how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love which surpasses knowledge. See, that's what we're all seeking. Am I loved? Can I really believe that Jesus loves me this much? Can I believe he loves me enough that all things are working together for my good, even this hard time that I'm going through? Do I understand? And why do we need to know how much he loves us? Why do we need to study the word and, and have fellowship with him and, and with each other to know this? Why do we work so hard to labor to enter in to his gates to enter into his rest, to enter into God's love. Why? That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God so that you can be that to somebody else. Because whether you believe it or not, you are loved. And there's a lot of people who live this life without knowing it. They live defeated and below the blessing of God. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. But if you can know it, then you can show it. If you can have it rise up on you, it'll rise and it'll bubble out of you and spread on everybody you come in contact with. That's what Jesus is after. How do we love? How do we love? Do we, do we even want to know how to love? Do we want to know how to love those different? than us. What about those indifferent towards us? What about those you've reached out to and they burned you like the rich young ruler burned Jesus? You stepped out, you reached out, and then they rejected you. What about those? How do you love those people? How do you love people that are dangerous to you? Could you love somebody about to cut off your head? Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> On February 15th, 2015, 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded by ISIS for refusing to deny Christ. The witnesses said they did so with joy. Well, that doesn't mean they loved ISIS members. Well, it means that they loved Jesus. It means that they loved Jesus so much that they were not willing to deny him, even if it meant their life, and in loving Jesus, it showed those ISIS members the love of Jesus. They could have said, no, I don't believe in Jesus to spare their lives. 
But what would that have said to the ISIS guys? Could you love somebody that's torturing you? Somebody that's making sure you live a slow, painful death? Jesus did. And he forgave them while they were doing it. How do we love like that? Turn to Colossians 3.13. Pastor, I can't love like that. Don't say that. My Bible says I can do all things through Christ. Is that what your Bible says? You think those Coptic Christians woke up that morning thinking, I'll be able to stand strong for God? Or do you think the grace of God came in the moment they needed it? Colossians 3.13. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Put it on. It's something you got to put on. It's in you, but it ain't going to work its way out unless you put it on. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. It's what makes the world go round. You see, God made different. It was God's idea that we be different. It was God's idea that you have your own set of fingerprints, that you have your own DNA, that you have your own personality, that you are a unique gift to this world. You're his masterpiece. There's not another one of you in the whole world. It was God's idea to make you different, even than your twin brother or sister. You are different. God made different. People made indifferent. We can't be indifferent because people are different. God loves different. And love clothes different in harmony. It says it right there. Clothe yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. Love takes all that difference and binds it together in love, in unity, in harmony, so that we can sing together the beautiful symphony of God. I was going to finish that story, wasn't I? So, I was sitting there, so to speak, I had tied the rope across the street and the thought came to me, what if a motorcycle hit that rope and I, caught, I caused somebody to get killed? So I jumped up, <laughs> not literally, but I finished what I was doing very, rather quickly and I ran out to check on my rope. And as I came around the apartment building, I saw some blue lights, and I went back like this around the apartment building. And my heart, and my eyes, because I didn't see what was going on, I just saw blue lights. 
And I was so scared, I grabbed the corner of that, that wall. And I looked around. Oh, my goodness. It was just a VW bug. Closest thing you could get to a motorcycle without being a motorcycle. But everybody was all right. The guy was just filling out a police report. Whew. Thank goodness I'm not a murderer. But what had happened is I had tried to rope people out instead of trying to use it to pull people in. My stupidity could have killed someone. Let me ask you a question. Aren't you finished with your crap yet? How long will you just sit there? Now that God is dealing with you about your indifference, the dangers of your indifference, when will you pull the ropes down off of those signposts? Untie those ropes that you've used to hold people out. Untie any rope that you have in your life that you have used to hold people out of your ballpark. Fling your gates open. You know, Jesus would have laid down his life in that street. He would have laid down and been run over before he had allowed one person to be held back from his love. In fact, he did. He laid down his life so that none should perish. He's not willing that any should perish and not know his love. But pastor, I'm not Jesus. I can't love like Jesus. Oh, yeah? I thought the love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. I thought we love Him because He first loved us. He gave us the love to love with. It's there. There may be a bunch of grave clothes around your brain that's keeping that love from coming out as an expression on your face. But it's down in there. If you can't love people, and I mean all people, now not for a moment saying that you let anybody in your house, you don't use common sense. I'm saying love people, you know, with common sense. I mean having a, an affection and a, a desire to help people, not that it means that you allow murderers and people in to live in your home or nothing. I'm just going crazy. I'm love crazy. No, you're just crazy. <laughs> But if you can't love people, all people, then maybe you don't know the love of God well enough for your own self. Because you don't know because if you can't do that, you don't know how much God loves you. First John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So let's close. How big is your ballpark? How could you make it bigger? Do you want to make it bigger? Is there room in your ballpark for those different than you? Those maybe indifferent to you? Maybe those dangerous to you? Can you at least begin to open up your heart and pray for folks, your enemies? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 3 and we'll quit. 
Very simple message, but is anybody grasping this? First Thessalonians 3.12. Say amen when you get there. I want your eyes to fall upon this. We're going to clear something up. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people. Say all people. Is there any Greek or Hebrew scholars in the house that can tell me what the word all means in Greek? What does it mean in Hebrew? What does it mean in Swahili? That your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Are you there today that you just automatically, well, since that message, I have just completely loved everybody. No, you're growing, and it will eventually overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, now we're going to see what the result of this is, make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy, as you stand before God our Father when the Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people, amen. Isn't that the way you want your heart strong, blameless, and holy before God? How do you get there? Love. God is love. God commands love. The great commandment is to love. That's all I got to say about that. But next week, we're going, to begin it, we're going to get into the ballpark. And we're going to be, talk about the playing field and what that's for. So don't miss next week as we continue this message. Amen. Amen. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.